Hello, this is Andrew Gomison, and I want to take this opportunity to welcome you to this edition of the Speaking for Him podcast. If you've been listening throughout the month, you know that we've been focused on things to be thankful for. Um, and we've, we've covered so far being thankful that God is in control, being thankful for the cross of Christ, being thankful for our families. And now I want to broaden that a little bit this week by talking about being thankful for our community. You know, before all the lockdowns um, that have occurred in the past months happened, there was some popular memes going around Facebook that said, where are we going to go look at our phones today? Highlighting the fact that often we are too uh, connected to technology and we don't spend enough time with one another as individuals and as families getting to know real people in real ways. And it's interesting that as we have gone into these lockdowns and as we have had social restrictions, how I think we have seen much more our need for each other. Now, myself being a naturally uh, social person, I always felt that. I was very wary and very scared even to go into lockdown because I was afraid of what that would mean for me socially um, you know, not from a standpoint of wanting to stay ahead, not from a standpoint of wanting to stay popular, but just because I need people. I tell people a lot because people think that because I am in a wheelchair, uh, that I should be able to work at home and I'm thankful that I can do my ministry stuff at home. And now the podcast is here at home. It's been working out very well, but I, I often tell people that a good 40 to 50% of the reason why I want to work outside of the home at the Potter's house and why the previous jobs that I've had have been so important to me is because connecting with coworkers and working as a team has been something that has been very important to me mentally and emotionally and even spiritually, because I've had the privilege of working for Christian companies. All right, well, as we kick off, I want to uh, take a little bit of time to share with you what is going on. I am simply going to lead off here by saying that I had a very pleasant Thanksgiving dinner this week with my family. All right, well, as with last week, I have two very interesting stories that I would like to talk about. The first one is one that came out of the Supreme Court this week. News overnight, the Supreme Court has ruled against Governor Cuomo and has temporarily blocked restrictions of religious services in New York State. Cuomo imposed restrictions on capacity in houses of worship in red and orange zones as a way to combat the coronavirus pandemic. The 5-4 decision came down around midnight with Chief Justice John Roberts and the court's three liberal justices dissenting. Justice Amy Coney Barrett's vote became the deciding factor. Similar cases regarding restrictions in Nevada and California resulted in opposite rulings. Those were handed down earlier this year when Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg was on the court. Now I want you to pay attention to something and think about what you just heard. The reality is that some of these decisions about religious liberty had already been taken up by the court 
when Ruth Bader Ginsburg was on the court. And then she passed away, and Donald Trump appointed and successfully had confirmed Amy Coney Barrett, and she became the deciding vote for New Yorkers to have the liberty to peaceably gather in their churches on Sunday morning. So I hope this underscores for you the importance of making sure that we go to the polls and support people who are going to make good decisions with the judges whom we appoint. Because it makes the difference between liberty and tyranny. I want to be very careful here because I know that people tend to lapse into insanity and say, well, if you want to meet as a church, then you don't care about people. You should just stay home and just suck it up and just wait for this to pass. But I'll tell you, number one, I don't believe that meeting in church means that you don't want to be careful. I think you can still be careful. I think you can still, um, you know, social distance, uh, you know, and not do as much physical contact with one another as you would normally. You can still wash your hands more often. You can do things within the context of being active in society that are still careful. I think the lie that the government is telling right now is that the only way to protect your fellow men is to cease the activities of life. And as I said earlier, it takes a mental and emotional toll on you when you cannot be with people because we were made to be in community. So I applaud the Supreme Court for making the decision to side with American liberty on this issue. And again, to just repeat, it does not mean that if you as a New Yorker feel uncomfortable going to church, you you have to go to church in a building. Because you don't. At my home church, Northwest Gospel Hall in Grand Rapids, Michigan, we still have uh, probably a third to 40% of our congregation is out and they go to church on Zoom every week and still join us even though they're not in person. I have no problem whatsoever with that. But this idea that we can dictate to everyone that they can't meet, that they don't have an opportunity to be safe. It's just wrong. And so I hope that this case sets a precedent for future cases. And I hope that people realize, even if you don't agree with this decision, that just because someone has that view, that they're not sitting there trying to make your life miserable by going about their duties. We need to still have life. COVID as a virus isn't going anywhere anytime soon, so we need to learn to live with it. And so I pray that God will give you wisdom to make the best decision for yourself on these issues. And I just pray that we will continue to be unified and realize 
that we need to be together on this. The Bible talks about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves as is the manner of some, and it talks about continuing to spur one another on to good works. Now again, there are virtual ways to do this, but it's just not the same. So I'm grateful for the way that this came down. And I just wanted to highlight the fact that the Supreme Court did make a difference. And there is a world of difference between Amy Coney Barrett, who is now on the Supreme Court, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who was previously there. So I just want to encourage you to stay involved, to make voting a matter of principle, a matter of duty, and to realize that it does make a difference. All right, the next thing I want to talk about is or an article in The Atlantic with the title, Why I Hope to Die at 75. Now, this article was written by a man who is slated should everything stay on track for Joe Biden to become the next president. He's slated to be the head of the coronavirus task force. And he, and he basically says in this article, my life will be complete. I will have done what I need to do. And I do not want to get to a place where I become useless. Now, I have some thoughts about this, and I will elaborate on them in a moment. But before I do that, I want to play two clips. And I may have a little bit of commentary uh, between them. But first, I want to play two clips from a lady by the name of Jen Fulweiler. Now, Jen is a radio host or a former radio host who now hosts her own podcast. She's a comedian. She's a former atheist, now a Catholic, who worked for the Catholic um, talk radio network. I don't remember what exactly it's called, but she has that cred. I think I ran across her story because of my interest and passion for the pro-life movement. And she had some really interesting thoughts on her podcast, which is called This Is Jen, about this article. So I'm going to play you the first clip. And in this first clip, Jen really gets to the heart of the matter and talks about something that I, as a disabled person, understand. I understand fearing the idea of being in a declining physical condition. Of course, we all do. But we need to be very careful about letting that fear lead us to say things like, if I were in a compromised physical condition, my life would no longer be worth living. Because there are probably people out there who have a disability, that lifelong disability, that you, that you are fearing and if you are saying, my life definitely would not be worth living if I were in that place, 
Well, what are you saying about your neighbor who's maybe 30 and living with a very similar condition every day? It's a dangerous mentality. And that is Jen Fulweiler again on This Is Jen talking about the dangerous mentality that you have of saying, I don't want to get to a place where I am unproductive, where I'm suffering daily, where I have certain impediments. As long as I'm young and and can be productive, then it's okay. But I don't want to get to the place where I am not productive, where I don't have anything to offer. And the problem with the worldly view of things is that everybody has their own subjective standard for what productive means. Everybody has their own personal standard for what that means. So, as long as you in the eyes of society are productive, it's okay to be alive, to enjoy life. But the minute that's over, you should just be gone. That's what this person is saying. And as a disabled man, I can so relate to what Jen is saying here. Because I have had discrimination in my life. I have had people not realize what I am capable of. Or imply at least that my life was not worth living. But you don't know the quality of my life. And the thing is, in order to have a high quality of life, what do we need? We need a purpose. And where do we get that purpose? That purpose is found in the fact that God began a good work in me and that he'll be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That it's God's work to be completed. It's not my job to decide when my life ends or when I get to go to the next life. That's not my job. That is the job and the purview of the God who created me. And when I take authority away from God, as if I actually could, but when I, in my feeble attempt, take authority away from God, then I am left with nothing to live for. Because actually, based on this guy's premise of life, why would I even want to live 75 years? If the, if the only thing that matters basically is my physical productivity, then maybe I should die at 40 or 45. But like Jen said in the clip, if if you're saying that ailments and being decrepit, as one of her friends put it, is a barometer 
for living and for having a life worth living, then what do you say to someone that has a serious element at 30? That they should just give up? And that's the problem with the socialist um, agenda that we have permeating our culture today. Is this idea that we as a society get to tell you whether you are a productive citizen or not. That's why I fight so hard against socialism. That's why I don't want it. That's why I voted against it. Because I don't want someone in a position of leadership like the coronavirus task force telling me that after 75, life's not worth living. All right, well, as I said, Jen had a lot of really good insights on this. Um, and she continues with a take on the elderly and what life after 75 can really be. And this is her talking about her grandfather. My my children had the benefit, my older ones especially, of knowing my grandfather, who was their great-grandfather, because he lived to 100. And by the way, he was running errands and going to the grocery store and cooking gourmet meals up, he was still doing. He was still cooking up to age ninety eight, but he could drive and go to the grocery store and was fine up until age ninety six. So we don't know the future. Crazy. Yeah. So yeah, and I mean, imagine if he had had that mentality. I hope I die at seventy five. That is twenty years. Twenty years in my life that he added so much love and richness and advice. And again, imagine my children. If, uh, my grandfather was in his 80s when my kids were born. So if he had died at 75, my kids would have never known him. And as it is, my kids, they're, what's what's my kids' generation? Gen Z, Zoomers? They're not millennials. What, Lucy, what are you? Gen Z. Gen Z. How cool is it that they have actually had sit-down conversations with someone who was born in 1914. They, like, he he remembers when the transfer, transportation was horses bringing horse-drawn carriages, like, before the automobile. He remembered when he saw his first plane. My kids would have missed all of that if he had died at age 75. And so there you have it. She had a grandfather that lived to be 98 years old. And until he was 96, he was driving, doing his grocery shopping, and all that stuff. So, if you're saying that your mentality is, after you're 75, you're no longer useful, that's a problem. Remember, folks, Moses did not start the process. Okay, he didn't start the process of leading the children of Israel out of Egypt until he was 80 years old. Don't let anyone tell you that your usefulness is tied to your age. In Psalm 147, the psalmist says, 
toward the end of the chapter, the Lord delights not in the strength of a man's legs. And then it goes on to say that the Lord delights in those who fear him. We need to know this, folks. Because we need to fight against this prevailing societal thing that says if you don't do something that benefits me in a societally tangible way, you're not worth it. That is so, so wrong. Again, this story was by Ezekiel J. Emanuel, and this is the person that future President Biden says he wants to lead the coronavirus task force. Now, I had read another thing that said that he reserved the right to change his mind, but do we really want someone with that view of life in charge of supposedly trying to preserve it for others. I don't think so. Much to pray for and to be aware of. All right, well, I'm very grateful to be continuing in our month of thankfulness. And as I said uh, before, we are uh, talking about being thankful for our community. Last week we talked about being thankful for our families and how important that was and is to society. And I hope that you were blessed by that. If you are blessed by any of these episodes, please know that they are available completely free of charge at sermon.net for your use and download, and you can get them directly from my website, speakingforhim.com as well. So please avail yourself of them. Please tell others about them and let them know that they can use these resources. I really want to be a place on speakingforhim.com and through this podcast where people and especially families can go for encouragement because as the family goes, so goes the rest of society. I know I say it a lot, but I say it because it's true and it needs to be said and we need to get back to a place where we realize that so that we can rebuild the foundation We can be wall builders like Nehemiah. Well, today's podcast branches out from last week's podcast and considers our communities at large. So here is our quote of the day. Our quote of the day comes from the Apostle Paul. Romans 12, 4 and 5 says... For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members of one another. And Paul is saying here that we all are part of the body of Christ, and we need each other. 
if you look at the chapter in more detail, you'll say that the foot can't say to another body part, I don't need you, and the arm can't say to a foot, I don't need you, and so on and so forth. We all need each other. And Paul is underscoring that in this passage. So, what are some aspects of community that we as believers can and should be thankful for? The first thing that came to mind for me is be thankful for Christian fellowship. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 1.7 It's very interesting for me through the years that if I meet someone who knows the Lord Jesus and who, who loves the Lord Jesus, that our bond can be instantly much closer than someone who doesn't. It takes time to build relationships, that is true. And we should spend time building our Christian relationships. But when you have the immediate bond of the blood of Jesus Christ, that bond can be immediately close because you share the most important thing ever. And you will also spend eternity with people who are your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is so important for us to know because we will be with each other for eternity, so we need to strive to get along. So it's very important for us to be thankful for Christian fellowship and to realize that as long as someone believes that Jesus died was buried and rose again on the third day and was the only way to pay for our sins and they don't add or take away from the whole gospel of Jesus Christ, they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. There may be a myriad of other issues that we disagree with them on, but if they believe the fundamentals, they are our brothers and sisters in Christ and we should be thankful for Christian fellowship. The next thing is to be thankful for friends who challenge you. This is another important thing. Be thankful for friends who challenge you. This is what 1 Thessalonians says, another Pauline epistle. I love Paul. Paul was an exhorter. His job was to exhort people to live a better Christian life. To strive to walk closely with Jesus. And I really believe that that's the role that God has given me as well. But this is what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. So we're to, what? Warn them that are unruly, 
So warn those that are doing the wrong thing. We're to comfort the feeble-minded, comfort those who um, don't have as much um, knowledge of the truth, maybe comfort those who are worried, comfort those who are in fear, or to give encouragement. We are to support the weak. Acknowledging that without support, we could be weak. And perhaps more importantly, we are weak in different areas. There's a verse in Colossians that says, and you are complete in him, lacking nothing. And I used to think that that was talking about a singular Christian, and you probably could apply it to that. But I heard a pastor or speaker talk about how that really makes sense in the context of all of the Colossians, or or even more importantly, all of the church. As the body of Christ, we are complete together. Remember we talked about the body uh, for our quote of the day, how we need each other, how we need the whole body. And so it's so important for us to um, be thankful for friends who challenge us. I've had the mentality for a while that everyone should have Timothy's in their lives, people to teach, and Paul's in their lives, people to learn from. And if you have both of those things, it can help you live a very balanced Christian life. Because we never want to get so high on the hog as to believe that we know everything. And we never want to have such a low opinion of ourselves that we think that we can't teach someone else something. You are a role model for someone, no matter who you are. The question is not whether you would be a role model. The question is, what type of role model would you be? And this next one is be thankful for friends who give comfort. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which which are in any way troubled by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. So in this instance, God is saying to us that if we've suffered a loss, we can help someone else go through it. God gives us comfort in our sufferings so that we can then turn around and give comfort to others. It's kind of similar to when Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then later on, he says to those who are his, you are the light of the world. 
It doesn't mean that we have become God. It means that if we abide in him, we will bear much fruit. And I know that I have a level of sensitivity to people that have lost loved ones, specifically siblings, having lost my brother. I know what that's like. I know the pain. I know the sorrow. I know the agony. If someone had asked me about how to deal with it before it happened to me, I would have said, no way. There's no way I can deal with it. But you know what? God gives the grace for what we are dealing with, not other people's grace. And I've said the same thing in regards to dealing with my disability. People may say, in one form or another, how do you deal with that on a daily basis? And again, it's this simple instance of God giving me the grace to deal with it on a day-to-day basis. And I'll tell you, some days are better than others. I've been very candid on this show about how the lockdown has affected me. And more than any other time in my life, I've been compelled to just simply stop and listen. God says in the Psalms, Be still and know that I am God. And so often we don't do that. But again, God is faithful. And if we go through suffering, there's a good chance that he will use it to help other people. And so we can have that confidence. Nothing ever happens to God's people without going through his approval. Remember that when the devil tempted Job, when the devil took things away from Job, when the devil ruined Job's life, he had to do it through God's permission. I think that's one of the questions that I will ask God when I get to heaven, or I I think I want to now. I mean, I'll have a, a different understanding when I get there, so who knows if I will actually ask. But one of the questions that I wonder about is, why did the devil even have an audience with God? God threw the devil out of heaven at the beginning of time because he said, I will be like God. And then the devil's roaming to and fro throughout the whole earth, and he comes to have an audience before God to ask if Job can be afflicted because God brings Job up to Satan and says, have you considered my servant Job who is perfect and eschews evil? Now he wasn't talking about total perfection because only Jesus achieved that, but 
in the midst of his peers, he was an obedient, godly person. And the devil said, well, if you take away everything that he has, he will curse you. So God says, go ahead and take everything he has, but don't touch his body. And then he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then the devil comes back and says, well, if you take his health, he'll curse you. And God said, you can make him sick. You can afflict him, but you can't kill him. And he again said, blessed be the name of the Lord. Job never found out this side of heaven why he was allowed to suffer. But as he desired, his words are written in a book so that you and I can read them and learn from them. That's why there's that popular saying, your mess can become your message. I'm very grateful to work in a high school environment where sometimes teenagers may think that they are, are living through the worst part of their life. And when I get to share at chapels, I often will tell them, you know, I know what it's like to struggle. I know what it's like to feel like you're suffering. I know what it's like to feel like you're nothing in this world. But I also know what it's like to have God pull you up and give you a purpose for life. And my prayer for those kids and my prayer for you listening to this podcast is that whatever suffering you are going through, that God will show you a purpose in it. Now, he won't always tell you everything. The end of Job is pretty telling because it basically talks about how... Um, were you there when I created the world, Job? And he goes through this whole list of things that only he could do and all Job could do, even with through all that suffering that God put him through, all Job could do is put his hand over his mouth and say, yes, you are God and I am not. The next one is be thankful for the giving and receiving of forgiveness. Colossians 3.13, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And I know myself personally, and we as humans collectively, we, we relish in the church the grace and mercy of God in our own life. We struggle to give it to others. And so we need to be thankful for the giving and receiving of forgiveness within the Christian community. And then once we're embracing it in the Christian community, then we reach out and give it to others. The Bible says to do good unto all men, especially those who are of the household of 
And as we think about this issue of forgiveness, we need to think about what we've been forgiven and then realize that we can, because of what we've been forgiven, forgive others. And it kind of relates to the previous one, previous verse I read. I'm just going to read a little bit of that again, because I think it applies. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. So we start out doing good to those among our circles, those in our church, and then we extend that to the world at large. And Jesus encapsulates this when he says to the disciples, they will know you are Christians by your love for one another. So important. Finally today, be thankful for companionship. Be thankful for companionship. And it came to pass, when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, that Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side, and the one on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Exodus seventeen eleven and 12. This is so important, especially during this time of unprecedented trial in 2020. You know, we did the lockdowns, we had to come home from school, got through the end of the spring semester, went through the whole summer, had a pretty decent summer, all things considered. And then my chair breaks three weeks into school. And for a month, I was in a loner wheelchair. Very uncomfortable because they can't customize loners very easily. So I had to make do with what they had. And through all of that stuff and now back in lockdown I can say that I have been loved well and that I've had people to hold up my arms when I'm getting tired there's usually someone to FaceTime someone to call someone to text who lifts my spirits and loves me well and I'm so thankful because we, we were not made to take this journey in a solitary way. Well, I hope that you have found blessing in what we've shared, not only on this podcast, but on the previous podcast for the month of November. I know there is a lot here, uh, but I hope that you will share it with your family and friends so that they too can listen. I wanted to let you know some of my plans for December. These aren't hard and fast, so there could be changes made. But 
for the month of December, some of the things I'm looking forward to is I'm planning to share with you my top 10 Christmas movies of all time. Now, an interesting thing about this list is, as with all of my movie reviews, my goal in making this list is not just to share with you an entertaining Christmas movie, but also to share movies that have really good lessons associated with them. So it is very possible that a movie that is high up on your entertainment list for Christmas movies might not make it into my top ten. It does not mean that it's not entertaining, but I'm trying to give you movies that are worth watching and that leave you with life lessons. So I'd be interested to know what your favorite Christmas movies are. Feel free to share those when you hear the contact information at the end of the show. You'll know where to send those. You can even do a voicemail that I could include in next week's show. That's something I really want to do. I want to include voicemails uh, from other people. I mean, and that could lead us to new podcast topics. That could even lead to you being on the show to impart wisdom and encouragement to other people. So please avail yourself of the contact information that's about to roll. Um, also, some of you know that I have appeared, I believe it's four times now, on the Menacing Millennials podcast, and I don't know if you guys have listened to it. I would encourage you to do that. Russ and the guys, Brent and John, take a very humorous look at popular culture and current events. So I'd encourage you to check out that podcast. Whether I am on a particular episode or not, I think it will be worth your time. And I am planning, hopefully this month, to have Russ and the guys on the Speaking for Him podcast so that we can have some Christmas fun and also talk about uh, the origins of the Menacing Millennials and how they came to put together this show. Uh, because Russ has been a real encouragement to me on this podcast journey. Uh, I think I discovered that he was podcasting right about the time of one of my podcast burnouts, and it really encouraged me to keep going. So I think you'll enjoy that conversation too here in the month of December. And as always, you can share what you think we should be talking about in 2021. I'm very excited that hopefully by the first of the year I will have the Pilgrim's Progress multi-voice ready for you to listen to. And so just super excited about that. Uh, please um, be paying attention for that and and pray about that as the project gets completed. And if you would like to donate toward that project, the opportunity is available on my website as well. So with that being said, I will simply say, have a great week and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. 
You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at speakingforhim. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.